0: Welcome to week 16 of 60 Weeks, 60 Books. This week there will be some roundaboutation, some digression and some rumination as I take a look at the third novel of one of the first and best writers of romantic suspense, Mary Stewart. Although Thunder on the Right, published in 1957, is not one of the best known of her books, it is my firm favourite. One of my most treasured possessions is a watercolour given to me on my 21st birthday by my late, much-missed godmother, Kate Mortimer. The watercolour is of Kilhern Castle, which sits at the northern tip of Loch Orr. Driving five minutes down the western side of the loch is House of Letter Ore, which Mary Stuart and her husband Sir Frederick Stuart made their permanent home following his retirement from Edinburgh University, where he had been a Professor of Geology. Rewarding as my life so far has been in many ways, I cannot help a touch of envy when I think of Mary Stewart's career. Born in 1916, she began reading at three and writing stories only a little later. After a rather miserable time at boarding school, she was offered scholarships by Oxford, Cambridge and Durham. Because the best deal financially was from Durham, she chose to study English there. She graduated in 1938, took a teaching qualification and then had a somewhat peripatetic period in World War II, mostly teaching secondary school students in a variety of settings. At the end of the war, she met a young geologist from Aberdeen and within months they were married. Sadly, Stuart experienced an ectopic pregnancy which prevented her from having children of her own, although she had good relations with her numerous nephews and nieces. Instead, she began writing, and after a false start with a children's book rejected for excessive violence, found her genre, her voice, and a fresh take on romance with her first published novel, Madam, Will You Talk? Set in Provence, published in 1955, it offered jaded English readers a breath of southern sun and sophistication. Her next book, Wildfire at Midnight, was set on sky. Between 1955 and 1997, Stewart produced over 20 novels, initially pretty much one a year, and then gradually slowing down as she began writing more substantial Arthurian novels The Crystal Cave, The Hollow Hills, The Last Enchantment, and The Wicked Day. I have read nearly all of her books and reread several. She, write one, she writes wonderfully lucid, immersive prose laced with literary allusions and quotations she has an excellent line in resourceful determined young heroines and tricky young men and their relationships are complex and plausible i'm not sure when stewart and her husband a distinguished individual in his own right actually bought the house of letter but once sir frederick retired in 1982 it became their permanent home if i could have had any other life Living in a beautiful house, overlooking a Scottish log and writing best-selling novels would have been my absolute ideal. As I mentioned, Thunder on the Right is my favourite of Stuart's novels. It is the first of her novels that I read and I still find every aspect of it enchanting. It opens with immediacy and the description of a very fine meal in a hotel with a glorious view of the Pic du Bimenez interspersed with what I now realise is a gently mocking parody of a pair of obsessive academics, geologists. Eating the meal is an apparently delicate young woman of 22, Jennifer Silver, who has travelled to the Pyrenees to meet up with her cousin Gillian. And who should pop up at the hotel, ready to offer her a liqueur and his company, but the handsome young man who was a student in Oxford had fallen in love with Jennifer. It is Mary Stewart's swift, elegant description of Stephen Maysfield that made me properly fall in love with a fictional character for the first time. There is his physical description. Tall, sensitive, hazel eyes, a man who would someday matter, not because of any ruthless, ambitious streak, but through his absolute dedication to his art and craft. Stephen is a musician and an academic, and right from the start of the book, it is clear that Jennifer and he are made for one another. The obstacles they face are not practical or logistical The main issue is that two years previously, Jennifer's mother kindly, firmly and cruelly made it clear to Stephen that she did not consider an impecunious music student a suitable suitor for her daughter. And worse, she deliberately hid from Jennifer that Stephen had tried to see her before leaving for two years of study in Vienna. Although they immediately clear up the misunderstanding that parted them two years previously, Jennifer is not yet ready. The romance lies in the tension between our knowledge that Stephen loves Jennifer, our knowledge that she loves him in return, even if she doesn't quite realise it, but that where he has two years of knowing that she is essential to him, she was bitterly hurt that he had left without a proper goodbye. Meanwhile, Jennifer is on a mission to rescue her cousin Gillian from the clutches of the local convent. Gillian, widowed after the war, struggling financially and vulnerable after a long bout of flu with complications, is contemplating entering holy orders. But when Jenny goes up to the convent in question, she is told by a wildly sinister Spanish nun that her cousin died two weeks before. Doña Francisca, it turns out, though, is no nun. She is the bursa of the convent, but the Reverend Mother has stoutly refused to allow the Spaniard to take holy orders. And just as Doña Francisca is no nun, it turns out that Gillian's death is by no means straightforward. For the woman who died expressed her love of gentians and their deep blue colour. But Gillian was color Stuart plays delicious tricks on us readers. She was a supremely well-read woman herself, and as Jennifer enters the convent, Stuart invokes the shades of that mistress of the Gothic novel, Anne Radcliffe, whose Mysteries of Udolpho achieves absolute peak Gothic novel status. At the time I read Thunder on the Right, I had already worked my way through Jane Austen, including Northanger Abbey, in which the heroine, Catherine Morland, misreads the actions and intentions of everyone around her, thanks to her absolute passion for the works of Mrs Radcliffe. And I had also read Udolpho, which is a crackingly silly book, thanks to Austen's parody of Gothic conventions. But actually, Jennifer is in A Gothic Adventure, Doña Francisca is a genuine villain and there is a genuine mystery to clear up, accompanied by oodles of pathetic fallacy in the form of sultry heat, storms and floods that reverberate through the plot as noisily as the thunder of the title. In an interview much later, Stewart discusses how she sprinkled her books with literary allusions and quotations in homage to that other mistress of dramatic suspense, Dorothy Sayers. She talks about how, when one recognises the quotations, one preens oneself a little bit. And quite apart from my crush on Stephen Maysfield, this was also one of the first books that I read that, first of all, liberally sprinkled in literary allusions that I recognised, and second, referred to books that were already a firm part of my literary landscape. Then there were the descriptions of France, which I had visited twice by the time I read Thunder on the Right. My first visit was Easter 1978 to Paris, where my mother and I stayed with a friend of hers who had worked in Washington and then moved to work at UNESCO in Paris. It was an amazing visit, enhanced by my birthday present that year, which was a pair of contact lenses. Everything about Paris seemed clear, vivid, fresh, extraordinary – I fell in love with proper French food, with the tapestries of the dame à la licorne, the lady and the unicorn, at the Musée de Cluny, with the centre Pompidou and with a metro so easy to navigate. My second visit to France was that summer when we drove down to visit another of my friends, Barham, who lived in Washington but had bought a cottage in a tiny village near the town of Fourcalquier. We arrived at the village just before Sunday lunch. The centrepiece was a whole lamb that was roasting on a spit outdoors, its liver turned into pâté, being beaten with rosemary twigs. And we sat down with one of the two families that made up the village's population, over 20 of us. I was astonished to find that my schoolgirl French allowed me to understand quite a bit of what was said. A day or so later, we drove to the Gorge du Verdun and had lunch in a glorious restaurant overlooking the gorge itself, where we feasted ourselves again on lamb and later my first taste of tartatin. Jennifer's first glorious meal of sweetbreads and meringue au chantilly, accompanied by rich wine, was synonymous for me with that trip to France, Profonde, as well as the writing of Elizabeth David which I also discovered at around that time. My mother and I lived in the top half of the Hammersmith house owned by my godmother, the one who later gave me the watercolour of Lahore. Both Mum and Kate were sound cooks with well-thumbed copies of Elizabeth Grigson and David. They were also both of the view that at 14 I was more than old enough to learn how to cook properly myself. So I found myself browsing their well-worn copies of Mediterranean food and French country cooking. Whilst the London of 1978 was not quite such a culinary wasteland as the 1950s hellscape where olive oil was only available in small bottles from Boots the Chemist, Elizabeth David's books and ingredients still felt exotic. And both she and Mary Stewart Educated women, born respectively in 1913 and 1916, shared a prose style that was unobtrusive, elegant and captivating. So, for me, although it is not one of Stuart's most popular novels, Thunder on the Right, with its light humour, its gorgeous hero, its elegance, grand guignol plotting and scrumptious meals, is a book that helped me realise how rich an experience it is to immerse oneself in a world that is both familiar and distant, where as a reader you recognise experiences and atmospheres from other books and other travels. And when I miss France particularly, I'm still very happy to return to the Pic du Pimenez, near Gavarnie, its magnificent moody storms and Jennifer's adventures. No spoilers here. I urge you to read it for yourselves. Next week, we will be plunging into a very different world, the fantastic, frenzied and bizarre world of the Bonk Buster and a little glance at the Bodice Ripper. My favourite, I think, of the Bonk Busters I read was Scruples by Judith Krantz, a classic example of the big bouncing novel of excess with a bit of a sidebar about the Bodice Ripper's Join me then.